0: Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson. From the title of the podcast, I have two live shows to promote. January 25th at the Brunswick Picture House in Brunswick Heads, New South Wales. And then January the 30th at the Brunswick Picture House, two completely improvised stand-up shows. What are you talking about, Will? On uh, Monday night, if you're hearing this early and you get a chance to come down on Monday night, it will be worth seeing for whatever reason, because I've not been on stage for nearly 11 months in front of people and I'm going to go out and do a completely improvised stand-up show. I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. There are so many things that I guess I could talk about. It's just what's going to come out. Who knows? Uh, I am as nervous and excited to see it as anybody else. So January 25th, at the Brunswick Picture House and January 30th, at the Brunswick Picture House are my two shows, the only two live shows I have booked in for this year at the moment. So, if you want to come and see me do stand up and you are somewhere near Brunswick Heads in the northern rivers of New South Wales, then come along to those shows. We would love to see you there. COVID safe inside and outside seating. So, please come down uh also speaking of plugs we have a patreon page that supports this podcast if you like this show and you've liked the episodes we've put out so far this year i think we've had a good start to the year. Paul dempsey jan fran steph tisdell there's been really three great episodes in a row and i think this is going to make it four great ones in a row because today is with tony armstrong you'll know that if you're a Patreon subscriber because you get to listen to it a day earlier than everybody else and advertising free. So thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Basically, you go to patreon.com slash philosophy. You join up for as little as a US dollar per month. And that means that I can pay podcast Mike and James Fosdyke and keep this little philosophy business running. Now, the thing we are trying to do is get to the point where we're over the $5,000 mark and can release two episodes per week. One brand new episode like this with Tony Armstrong, a brand new guest, and then one catch-up episode with the previous guest. I have a good one with M. Rossiano up my sleeve that I recorded about a month ago when I recorded this one with Tony, and I really want to release it, but I need to get to that $5,000 mark. So uh, patreon.com slash philosophy is the place to go for that Hey, Tony Armstrong is today's guest. If you don't know Tony, you're going to want to know Tony. He is a man who's already lived a pretty incredible life up until this point. But I'm just super excited to see what happens next because he is funny and intelligent and fierce and wow, this guy has just got so much in front of him, man. It was a great pleasure to sit down and have a chat uh, with him Uh, for this podcast. So I hope you're going to enjoy it as much as I did. This is Tony Armstrong. welcome to philosophy with will anderson i'm will anderson from the title of the podcast and this is how the show starts i ask my guests who they are so who are you
1: i'm tony armstrong will um i'm a broadcaster and presenter at uh, the abc and um yeah just trying to trying to make my way in the world
0: uh i like this trying to make my way in the world so that's a i think that's probably a pretty good philosophy in general for everybody, I've noticed you've got something dangling above your head <laughs> there <Thanks> too, <laughs> Tony. What is that in the shot? Tony and I are in uh, different states, in different right. places. And uh, Tony, I believe, has just i <laughs> around I'm to a <laughs> Podcast Mike, who produces my podcast. You've got around to his I place, have, I believe, yeah. this morning to record your end of this interview and you are in a room it's like you know the old the, the, light yeah, switch. the light
1: dangling switch it's like let there be light bang oh sorry other way around yeah um
0: it is literally right next to your head and you have just been pulling it on and off and going light and dark
1: i'm like a i'm a i'm like a five-year-old puppy you know like a sorry a five-month-old puppy now that i've noticed it i'm gonna be so distracted I'll be fine. We'll be fine.
0: It it is like you're at Guantanamo Bay. I feel like that's what it's like. Don't ever compare this
1: to Guantanamo Bay. It's far worse. (laughs) 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 That's that's the Ritz, mate. This is... This is a nightmare. <laughs> yes,
0: you're telling everybody who listens to my podcast and the producer of my podcast lives in an apartment that is worse than quite a bit of my life. So not sure that reflects greatly on me. But uh, so here's what I was going to say, is just trying to work out life, yep. just trying to get by, to work out what life's all about, what your place is in life. And you talk about the idea that now, you know, broadcasting is that place in your life. So take us back on a journey a little, did you always think that broadcasting was going to be something that you would do with your life? How did you find yourself a broadcaster?
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty funny. So I played footy for eight years. I was a fledgling, like a, I had a fledgling footballing career. I never quite made it, but I played at three different clubs. So I played at the Crows, then I played at the Swans, then I played at the Pies. And um, I, I was probably a little bit too good for the state leagues, but I could never quite established myself at AFL level. So I was in and out and it's a pretty crappy existence being on the edge of elite sporting teams because you're reinforced kind of every week that you're not good enough by lack of selection, despite, despite, you know, giving it, giving it your best shot. And, you know, you come out, I I came out of footy and I was pretty, I was pretty jaded and bitter. Like I knew I, like I had an honest man's pillow, but, um, I was pretty bitter that I didn't get what I wanted out of, out of it. Um, despite giving it everything. And, you know, everyone says to you, will you know, you, you'll like, you'll get out what you put in. Like that's that, you know, the classic saying, and I reckon that's a load of crap. Um, uh, there's so many other things that go with it, but, um, then I just kind of bounced around for a little while. Like I went to uni for a little bit, started studying psych, got scared off by statistics. Cause I can't count. um, and and then yeah bumped around a little bit and then started doing commentary with indigenous radio um and then bt heard that i was doing it and i went to school with bt's eldest son and then bt made a call um well sorry he he called me and was basically like tone you have to come into triple m i've organized you a meeting that happened uh and then it kind of just concertinaed from there i i've I, I loved broadcasting, I loved commentating, um, and then I worked really hard at it, and then I ended up, that's where we met, I ended up getting an opportunity to commentate at Triple M, and I became the first Indigenous person to do so on commercial radio, and you know, there was a big song and dance about that, we ended up meeting in at Brekkie, and then off the back of that, I sort of, things just kept happening, you know, um, I got... Must have been spotted or, well, not spotted, heard. Got uh, approached to host a TV show called Yokai Footy. And then the ABC saw that. They approached me to come and present and commentate and do all sorts of stuff there. And that's kind of how it happened. It was one of those things that I guess found me. But once I started doing it, you know, I really really loved it so yeah long-winded answer but that's kind of how i got here well
0: it's okay it's a long podcast so we've got time for long-winded answers mate this is this is not triple n brekkie you can
1: definitely get away. with see you Tony, and that's it tony armstrong yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> that's all we've got time for guys that's a pretty good summary though tony thanks for coming on the podcast
1: <laughs> yeah so that's um, where i got to I-
0: Okay, so take me back to um, your football career then because I'm fascinated by something that you said there, which is this myth of that you get from something what you are willing to put into it. And I think that what you've described, that idea of being the best at one level but not ever being able to establish yourself at the next level to that same degree must be an incredibly frustrating limbo to be in. So much talent... So much, you know, ability, so much passion for what it is you're doing, but just not being able to, you know, take it to that next level. So was football always your dream up until that point? Like, are we talking about something that you were like, I, th- I think this is what I'm going to do with my life?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think it kind of has to be because if it's not, people are going to go past you because there's people who are more dedicated, willing to do more, eat better, you know not go out all of that kind of stuff there's there's people willing to make all of those sacrifices and sure i had a i had a good time everyone has a good time but yeah i gave it i gave it everything um and yeah it's it's one of those things i think had i been drafted perhaps older maybe it would have been different because i would have had a bit more world experience a bit more life experience i So, and you would understand this performance pressure, right? Um, There's this, there's this nice, so I've, I've kind of found this dissonance now and I don't know if you get it. I'd be really interested to hear where now I have this weird dissonance between performance and like, like I kind of don't care. That doesn't mean I don't put the work in. So I, I work my butt off until the moment that, you know, whatever it is, is happening, is happening. But then once it starts, I don't care because like what will be, will be. And that stops me from hamstringing myself and, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, being in my shell. And I reckon that's what happened when I played footy. I cared so much that, I, I, I couldn't play freely, but then when I'd go down to say the VFL, SNFL level, whatever it was, I didn't care. Cause like I, I knew I was good enough and I knew if I put the work in, so, so I think a bit of a mindset thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you, do, do you have the same experience when you're on stage?
0: Well, I think I'm really interested in what you're talking about, which is this idea that somehow you can get in your own way. Yeah. Right. That, you know, the, the less you care, I mean, I often with you know, stand-up comedy in particular, even if you do care incredibly much, and of course you do, there's an internal conceit that means that you care incredibly much, otherwise you wouldn't be there. There's no reason to go and, you know, stand in front of a thousand strangers unless you really want them to have a good time. You're, well, that and I have no other skills, really. But, like, but mostly that you really want them to have a good time. And yet at the same time, you've got to project this air that you don't really give a fuck one way or the other about, you know, whether they think what you're doing is good or not. And that's not always true. But it is part of, if you can master that, if you can master the idea of thinking, no, 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 I know this is good. I know this is funny and I don't care so much what you guys think, then
1: you do perform at a different level. Absolutely. It's 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 this interesting space and it's kind of, it's quite hard to explain, I think, when people aren't in a performative um, environment uh, just because, you know, say, say if you're sitting there uh, and this isn't taking anything away from other other professions, but say you're sitting there as an accountant you don't have to necessarily be out there performing. You're just in the numbers, the numbers make sense and there's no kind of gray area, you, you know, like the numbers add up to the numbers. But when you're doing this thing where you've you've got to bring people along and then even footy, it's so performative. There's no, like, sure, you can measure it with kicks, marks and handballs and, and the score, but there's so many other things that can't be measured, you know, intrinsic things to the game. And, you know, you talk about people who read the play. How do you, how do you measure how someone reads the play? You, you simply can't. So yeah, it's one of those things. And I I actually, at the back end of my career, I was playing with, well, not really playing with, I was training with Dane Swan. He was playing in the seniors and I would ask him about it. And he was like, yeah, I like the less I cared, the better I got. And you know, it's this weird thing because when you're a kid, it's like, oh, try your hardest, do your best at all times. But then you can't have the dissonance between, all right. All the lead up doing, like trying your hardest, busting busting your ass, all that kind of stuff and then letting it go when you get out there. It's kind of two, it's like two very separate things and it's a really interesting space to explore, I think.
0: It's such an interesting idea. I spoke once with Steve Waugh, you know who Steve Waugh is, of course. Uh, For listeners, the former captain of the Australian cricket team, one of the- The (laughs) Iceman. And known as being, you know, an incredibly great performer under- Tough conditions. And I was asking him about how he chooses which shots to play when you're playing against, you know, guys from the West Indies who were bowling at 160 kilometres an hour. Like, just technically, how do you have the time to decide whether you're going to play a cut shot or whether you're going to play a pull shot or any of those sort of things when the ball is being flung at you that quickly? And he said, well, you don't really. He said, you train. He said, you train so much and then you hope that when you get out there in the middle – that you get out of your own way and you let your instincts take over. And he said, the minute you're starting this, trying to start to think about which shot you play, the ball's already hit you or the ball's, or ball's already smashed into your stumps by the time that you've been able to make that decision. So I guess what he was talking about in that moment is an example of what we're talking about, which is do all the work beforehand, but then don't let that work weigh you down when you're out there trying to do your job.
1: No, 100%. And someone gave me really, really good advice when I started in i guess broadcasting or performing or whatever you'd like to call it and it was you know the the people who are the best at it are the ones who make it look like they're like like they're not even trying and that's because they're out of their own way and they're in this flow state but that's also because they've done so much work they've done they've worked harder than every, than anyone else they've they you know there's not a single stone that they've not turned over in preparation for that moment so that when that moment happens you're right they're out of their own way they just allow themselves to access this kind of flow state and they and they perform at a level that a lot of people can only dream of
0: okay so you, when you 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 got drafted quite
1: quite young right so i finished school on friday Got drafted on Saturday, moved to Adelaide on Sunday, started Monday.
0: So to give people a picture of what your life was like before you moved to Adelaide, (laughs) where are you living? What's Tony Armstrong's life like before you have to suddenly get on a plane and go to Adelaide?
1: I was a moron. Um, I was was at boarding school at Assumption College. and my mum lived in a little town called Burrum Buttock, which is just out of Albury. So I finished my last exam on the Friday, Arvo. It was a media exam. Um, I think I think we did... Um do you remember that Tom Cruise movie Collateral? Yeah, yeah, with Jamie Fox. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wrote an essay about Collateral. Um, oh, one of the classics. One of the classics. Yeah, you know, like yeah. Classics at school. I mean, just Tom Cruise running. You know, <laughs> that's all it was. Uh, great form, great technique. Anyway, um, so I catch the train home to mum's the next day. Get drafted, and then everyone calls, and they're like, "All right, cool, yeah." you're moving to Adelaide tomorrow. I was like, what? Like, yeah. You're moving to Adelaide tomorrow. So on the plane, first thing, Sunday morning, and then Monday start training. So pretty fast turnaround. So I just turned 18. Like, So how does
0: something like that work? Do they like, do, does the club find you somewhere to live? Someone to live with, like provide like, because the idea of, I mean, I remember when I finished school, packing up and going to university and mine, you know my mum came with me you know, to, to help me move in you know like it's a pretty daunting thing to be able to do when you're that age and you're moving into state to you know play this professional adult sport and you know you've pretty much found out overnight at the end of year 12 exams like what infrastructure is in place for a young person in that situation?
1: Yeah so AFL clubs are really really good like that they have um player welfare managers and they've got like a whole team that basically looks after everyone's welfare. And clearly the focus is on the younger players um, because they need the most help, generally speaking. And then, so you get a call from them, you get a call from the coach, you get a call from all that. They basically, they put you in into a house either with a player welfare manager or with other older players. You stay there for a few weeks until they find you a host family. Excuse me. Now, a host family is basically um, a family who will put you up. Like, you know, if you ever had like a exit weekend with other schools or that, that kind of thing, it's just like extrapolated out for a year. So I lived with this beautiful family, the Baxes, for a year. Um, and then you move out and, you know, take on the real world uh, at 19 sort of thing by yourself or with a couple of other guys. And yeah, I mean there's so much going on. And that's why I said, I wish I was a bit older because like I'd come from boarding school. You know me a little bit, but you know me enough to know I'm pretty mischievous. And you can imagine like an 18 year old version of me, you know, like I was, I was a complete idiot, right? Like the, you know, the mental age of probably sort of 14, 15, which had been Incubated by living in a boarding house, which like our, we didn't have our own rooms. Like it was a big hall with office partitions. So you, this is the kind of environment I've come from. And then I'm supposed to be a professional athlete, you know, living to higher standards than the rest of society because everyone thinks, Oh, because they're professional athletes. So so hang on, man, like I'm an idiot. Like, (laughs) like, (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like <laughs> to be you, fair guys, yeah. I'm basically still a child. Yeah, I'm an yeah. idiot. And I've been living in a boarding house with office petitions for like the last three or four years. So I'm not really prepared for this
1: situation in any way. At all. And then you're with, you know, seasoned professionals, hardened pros, who are then instantly giving you feedback around everything from your from your professionalism to, you know, the way, you know I was no like I had no idea or concept of time really i lived at school so when the bell went for the first period i walked from my room in the dorm to the first period i had to organize to get to training early like just even things like that i was so far off it um there's that thing again you're like
0: guys it's a, by the way tony's just got distracted <laughs> he's
1: like hit the light cord again
0: <laughs> you're absolutely right you are gonna get distracted by that during this interview but secondly yeah when you've lived on campus, essentially, you know, it's very hard to be late for school. You know, I'm sure that you... you, know, oh, you I gave it a run. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but you're not living at the Adelaide Oval, you know. No. Like, suddenly, you're in a very different, you know, environment.
1: Yeah, and uh, football and, you, you know, all, all, all of the sports people you would have spoken to, especially team sports, they would have, t- they would have at some point talked about perception and how how hard it is to to build a really good perception but then also how quick it is to to make a bad to make a bad one and then how hard it is to get out of that you know people and people do it in the real world i think but not as quickly and then they're not as stringent to it so my perception at the start was you know i'd train hard um you know i'd i'd work hard but I was pretty sloppy with, with everything that went around it. So, you know, you talk about being a 24 hour a day athlete. I was probably an athlete for seven hours or eight hours a day. And I was just learning, you know, like he, I, w- I was just learning and it took me a little bit longer to cotton on. Um, but it's so hard to break out of that perception once you've made it, uh, so, so yet once it's been, I guess, given to you or bestowed upon you. So i wrestled with that a little bit. Um, but I mean, ultimately i look back at it. Fondly, I, I, I've, I'm, I'm out of it long enough now to look back on it fondly, I think.
0: Okay, so you, you then have to move clubs oh, and not I, just move clubs, but you have to move state.
1: Yeah, well, I, so I requested a trade to Sydney. So I grew up in, in Sydney, Western Sydney. And so I was there at Pluggers 1300th. I was there in the 2005 grand final. I uh, was an absolute nuff and the opportunity came up for me to go to the swans um and i jumped at it jumped at it with both hands i was a bit older by clearly a bit older by that point i was like no shit um yeah <laughs> I mean,
0: have it I would did... have been a talking point if it was the other way around I just oh. went to Sydney as a fifteen-year-old. <laughs> i was doing a real benjamin button thing at the time <laughs>
1: Like, yeah, Tony, are you just uh, attempting to explain the conventions of time to me? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I am. Um, anyway. So
0: several years later, <laughs> I went to a different place. I, coincidentally, I was always back in time. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm at the Swans. I think I've just turned 21, put the trade in. Um, and then, yeah, ended up up there with Goodsy, which was an absolute career highlight. Got to wear Mickey O's number, number 19. And then, yeah, so got injured day one of preseason, so I missed my whole first preseason, um, managed to work my way into the side, and then, yeah, just a sliding doors moment. Uh, I was like established in the side. this is in the grand final year when we won the flag. I've been playing well enough to knock Nick Malcheski out. Um, and he was—he famously kicked those two brilliant goals, um, and the one that we've all seen—the snap over the shoulder to win the grand final. So, f- most Swans fans are probably stoked that he got back in. Um, <laughs> that prick. Uh, <laughs> um, but there was one day, so I was starting on the field. I, I think we were playing the Brisbane Lions at the SCG, and it was I, like you know, graduated from the bench in, onto playing well enough to get on the field, and. And I uh, I rock up at the ground and I see the the sub vest in front of my in front of my locker. And I'm like, oh what, what's what's going on here? Because the day before I'm on I'm on the ground and then I notice Marty Matten is out, he's out crook, and they brought Mal in from emergency into starting on the ground. I've gone to sub zero and Mal played an absolute blinder. I've come on late, played okay, but, you know, it's really hard to get into a game with 10 minutes to go. Um, anyway, next week, I just had this sinking feeling in my gut. And this is what happens when you're on the fringes as well. You can't even enjoy the wins or the losses. Straight away, you're just like, did I play well enough? So I'd never got out of the, did I play well enough? Sorry, to yeah, to get picked next week. I was always, I could never really enjoy it. anyway. I digress. It gets to Wednesday and John Longmire gives me the call. You've missed out. Uh, Malco's going to be playing. We're playing West Coast over in Perth. So I travel travel emergency, go over go over to Perth, whatever. The boys smack them. And then we, they basically went on like a 10-game run. I think we finished second on the ladder or third on the ladder that year. I played the very last game of the year down in Geelong because Nick Smith got vertigo. Um, Now, if you don't know what Vertigo is, like, it's an inner ear thing and you lose your balance. And he was, like, on all fours in his own home throwing up, like he couldn't do anything. And so they picked me. I played all right, but then came back out. And then I was the emergency for every match, including the grand final. So, like, probably the worst moment of my career to date was doing the warm-up on AFL grand final day on my birthday for the team I grew up barracking for like, and halfway through the warm up, horse just looks at me and he gives me like a shake of the head and you've got to stay up, right? Like, like you've got to stay up cause the fuck the boys are about to get out and play a granny and I love them. Right. So on the inside, I'm like, Oh, but on the outside, I'm like, yeah, come on boys. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll never forget it. If if you've been under the MCG, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, that kind of walk out to the bottom of the race. So I'm at the back of the group and you can't see like the sky. All you can see is the great Southern stand from one end of the race. And then I just saw the swans banner going up and the song start and then the boys walk up and then it was just, just me and two other blokes in the change room crying. Like, like, like you're in the big, biggest, biggest, most concentrated amount of people probably in Australia in that moment. And you couldn't have been more alone down in the bowels of the, of the G. Um, So that was a tough one. Um, And then they, and then they win and you're like, fuck I've had a shower with a raincoat on here. Like I'm part of it, but I'm not getting invited back to the reunion in 10 years. Like I'm not, you you know, like, Oh you're that close. And I think from a footballing point of view, that's, that would sum me up and my career up like I was that close. And, you know, that, that goes back to, you know, it doesn't matter how hard you try, you might not get what you want, but yeah, if you can make peace with that, I think it's this weird bit of freedom really.
0: And so have you made peace with that? Like, I mean, because when you describe it like that, that example, like even uh, me sitting here, I just, there's so much that, Like emotions that just rush through me hearing you tell that story, let alone you know you being the person who that story is about, you know, reliving that moment. So, have you genuinely made peace with that?
1: oh Oh, one hundred percent. Like it took a while because that fucking hurt. Like I remember after I was, I had this weird thing in my head. Like I I never even touched the cup because I was like, nah, fuck that. Like I'm going to get my own. You know. That worked out well, didn't it? Oh. Look <laughs> well, look back and think- <laughs> Yeah, I, I should have, have touched touch the, the cup.
0: cup. <laughs> 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 Fucking Probably idiot. Probably should have snuck <laughs> in the back of a few photos. If I just stood next to Goody <laughs> all night, I would have been in every photo. No one would have remembered I didn't play.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Fucking idiot. Um, too, too proud. Um, anyway, yeah. Like, it took me a while, but I made my peace with it. And- I know, I know you're going to ask me for my philosophy at some point, but I think
0: probably I'll, now's as good a time as any, to be honest. So yeah. About
1: yeah. It. So it's like, for, well, I think there's a weird superpower. I reckon with being okay with not getting what you want, but being happy to give it a crack. So like, I haven't articulated that how I was intending to um, like, I really believe, and I've said it a few times, that you're not going to get what you want every single time. But if you let that hamstring you, you'll get to the end of your life and you go, fucking, why didn't I try? Um, And whilst I hate the fact that I didn't get what I wanted out of footy, I'm okay with it. And I've got an honest man's pillow with it. So now with everything I'm doing and everything that I want to do, I've got almost no fear be, because I, I'll give it a crack. And if it doesn't work out, that's fine. It'd, it wouldn't be fine if I wanted to do something and I didn't give it a crack. And then I 10 years down the track, I said, Hey, you know, well, I could have done this. It's like, well, you didn't. And you didn't even try. So yeah, for me, for my, my philosophy is basically like, if you want to do it, or you think you want to do it you're in for a penny in for a pound you fucking you work hard you 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 bust your ass and you it's amazing how many opportunities come up when you're in that mindset because you see them you see them there you ah oh, sh- actually yeah that is good for me that is good for me and you know obviously you can't say yes to everything but i think it's this kind of mindset where it's almost no fear like, obviously there is ultimately deep down a fear of not being good enough and a fear of all that, but I don't let that stop me trying.
0: Yeah, so that's a, a good place because obviously the fear is necessary, I imagine. Like, I I think that to be a professional sports person, to be a professional performer, I imagine it, it probably applies to a whole bunch of jobs. I imagine there are surgeons who still there is an element of fear when they go into their job but you don't want them to have shaky hands once they're in the surgery. No, no, no. no. (laughs) You want them to care enough about whether you live or die before they come into the room. Yeah, we're going to try
1: something new here for this heart surgery. (laughs) (laughs) No thanks. No thanks. Nothing revolutionary. Can we just just go with tried and true? You know... (laughs) Like as the as the mask comes down, you're just the last thing you hear. So, yeah, so I've been thinking, what if we try? Oh no, you know,
0: <laughs> yeah. guys, guys, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about just coming in from the other end. I know I've done before, but dude, just no thanks. I, um, okay, so that 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 point between caring enough that you want to be great at something, but then being able to not let that care get in the way of what you're doing this this sounds like the journey of late tony armstrong at least as a performer is this idea of there is some thoughts some doubts perhaps in your mind that if you'd been able to master that in your professional sports career that you might have had a more successful professional sports career
1: i'll I'll never know the answer to that um and does it and is I'm is fine with that. You
0: think about, and you're fine with that. Good, yeah. Well, that, yeah, I guess that's what I'm asking: is do you get do you get to a point where you go, well, that that yeah. was that, and that's my story, and I am fine with that being my story.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 it set me up so well in sort of broadcasting, presenting, and hosting because there's so much that's out of your control. Like you can be a great a great host. You can call you can call really well. You can present really well, but for whatever reason it might not work it might not be you might not have the right panel with you you might not be talking about the right things the audience might not necessarily connect far out if you've done your bit that's all like that's all you can that's all you can kind of hope for and then obviously when you're doing it with a panel like on on Gruen for instance you guys have got such a great such a great chemistry with um, with the panel that, you know, you kind of, you know, it's going to work, but say it, say it was a different panel uh, or a different panel every week, it might not work every week. Um, so I think, you know what I mean with that. It's like, you've just, you've just got to hold up your end of the bargain and, and then what will be will be, I suppose.
0: Do you, do you think that it gives you a different insight as a football commentator? or somebody talks about other people's performance, often, those roles can be filled by like the superstars of the game you know people who achieve the ultimate accolades as professional sports people are often recruited into the world of sports broadcasting the fact that that isn't your story do you think that gives you a different perspective on being able to comment on other people
1: oh it does for sure um, i think it's i think it's really funny i don't know you there's no doubt you've you've noticed this with a comedic mind but some some of these guys forget like the things that they may have done on the field so i'm 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 not here to name names but if we go back to the adam goods example adam goods in indigenous round through an imaginary spear in a war dance as an aboriginal man at a crowd and someone said that's the worst thing that's, that they've ever seen happen on a football field now I've seen people cave other people's skulls in. I I've seen people like people have been arrested on the football field you, you, you know this is a guy who's celebrating his culture in indigenous way like throwing an imaginary spear. Like I think I think some of these some of these guys forget that they played and and I don't know I think sometimes there's a distance where they almost lose touch a little bit, which is fucking funny to me. I think it's hilarious. Like, cause, and also the majority of players as well, like less than 1% have a career like they, like, like they did. So the majority are actually like me, really. The majority have fledgling careers. They play 40 or games. They're out before they realize they're in. And they're onto the next phase of their life. They're not smoking cigars, flying private, you know, so it's it's I don't know I think it's it's nice to be able to give a different take and always try to get around the underdog so to speak.
0: Yeah, I I certainly notice sometimes with the real superstars they get in commentary their, their frustration that the majority of people can't do what they would have done in that situation. <laughs> They're going well. The ball just went down there. Why didn't you just jump on his shoulders, grab it, kick it over his head, and kick a goal? That's what I would have done. And you're like,
1: yeah, that is what you would have done. Yes, Jason Dunstall. So like, 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 yes, you you kick the third most goals ever, mate. Like, we get it. You were bloody good. Like, I don't know. I think it's 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 just quite funny to me. The the I guess the and then almost a the lack of empathy sometimes, and that's across the board. That's that's across the board in every sport. And I suppose they're paid to be to be critical, but I don't know. I'd like a bit more of a positive uptick sometimes, Will.
0: Um, okay, so you mentioned Adam Goods though. You mentioned that strong Indigenous culture at the Sydney Swans. Mickey O'Loughlin always spoken about very well in that regard as well. But Adam obviously became a bit of a lightning rod for, you know... Um, the, yeah. Our modern day race you know, wars. <laughs> well, I mean, it was for a while. I mean, you talk about the imaginary spear incident. I mean, I always said, like, the crowd could have easily defended themselves with imaginary shoes <laughs> in a situation <laughs> like that. I mean, oh, wow. Oh, a, yeah.
1: Cop oh, that, sorry. fuckhead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Throw a few back, <laughs> you know?
0: <laughs> I mean, that's a really good point. <laughs> Uh, the, like the people he's throwing the imaginary at are only limited by the power of their own imaginations. <laughs> <laughs> Which were quite clearly
1: 2D at the time. <laughs> I mean, oh, fuck's sake. I mean, Jesus Christ. And then taking, a, talking- taking offense to that as well. Like, my yeah. God. Think about the context here. Anyway. Well, I so. mean,
0: a, a, a proud Indigenous man celebrating a game that. And this is where it gets interesting, I think, with. AFL and and to an extent with NRL as well because for indigenous people in Australia and absolutely there are big limits to this because if we look at you know indigenous people worldwide and offer them their only pathways out of you know the injustices that have been done to them through sport and through entertainment then that is limiting the availability and possibilities that people should be able to have in their life but I think there is something worth celebrating about the fact that the AFL I think is at last count 13% indigenous it is a pathway for young indigenous men to be able to have a well paid established career that will lead to other opportunities so the and the indigenous players are incredibly i mean firstly that's a large amount of people but secondly such a, a disproportionately even larger yep. amount of the joy that we get from you know watching the game so in some ways it's a great place for Indigenous people and yet it comes with that other side of it, which is the racism and the prejudice and the lack of understanding of, you know, when somebody actually opens their mouth like Adam does and wants to speak up for his people, the the backlash that we see comes with that. So speak to me a little bit about what your experience of all that was.
1: Yeah. Uh, um... We're going to, this is going to be a, a two hour special. Um, uh, so I, like the first thing I reckon to, to make note of like pretty much the only place where you have a positive preconceived perception of Aboriginal people is the sporting field. So... If you're ever playing junior junior sport or something like that, and someone goes, "Oh, there's a new kid come to town," blah, blah, blah. you know, oh yeah, yeah, he plays footy. He's Aboriginal, and everyone goes, "Oh, yes." <laughs> but then, like, like it's oh, you he know, must be good, you know, like like straight away. But then you flip a corporate setting onto that, you know, oh, geez, how'd they get the job? You know, was there diversity quotas? Like straight away, that's that's where people's mind goes. So already, you know, sport or perhaps the entertainment. So the arts would be another one. Um, but that aside, um, you know, 3% of the population, 10, 10, to, 10 to 13% um, within the AFL and AFLW. And then, you know, the impact that it has across communities is immense. But it's there's a couple of things. First off, I think... I get really annoyed with the way that a lot of indigenous players are spoken about in that it's always magic. It's always freakish. It's always, um, or innate. It's, it's that kind of stuff, which discounts hard work. Mm Like, like, how do you like, how the fuck do you think Eddie Betts is so good at kicking those goals? Do you think it's just cause he's never picked up a footy and then he's done it before? Or do you think it's cause when he was a kid, he was having 5,000 shots a day in the backyard, fucking around with him and his fam. Like there is, like, there's a complete discount of the hard work that goes. And like, of course there's natural talent, like not discounting that, but you know, hard work beats talent every day of the week. Um, so he's worked fucking hard. And and then I guess the other one, especially here in Australia, and I think w- we see it over in the States, you know, with LeBron James more more than an athlete. Um, like they're so powerful because they're so, you know, LeBron James is his own media company, so he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Um, but, you know, here in Australia, we're, we're happy for Aboriginal people people to to be sports men and women but the second they speak up nah stick to sport like that's all you know you couldn't possibly know anything else so i still don't think we're we're ready as a country like clearly we're not we saw what happened like people hadn't like didn't even have any idea that our statistics you know per capita are worse than what they are in the states you know, you had people come out oh, well, at least it doesn't happen here. Fuck off. It's worse here. And then when people like an Adam Good stick their head up and actually try to shine a light on it, they get gaslit out of, out of a sport that they were like, if that's going to happen to fucking black Superman here, like, like you, you couldn't be more respected than, than that man within his professional field. Or you know within his community, and then to watch our country gaslight him off the back of just actually just pointing out some home truths. But let's not forget that it all started with him, you know, being racially abused in his own workplace. Like that's where it started, and then we gaslit him out of out of his sport, and you know, he's not involved in it anymore. Like it's it's so frustrating because it just shows how much hard work there is to be done. Like I'm up for the fight and I know a lot of other people are, but it, it, I'm going into it eyes wide open. You know, I understand that I can't, that, you know, you've got to play the game a bit. You can't, you can't be an agitator cause then you lose everyone. You've got to bring people along because ultimately we are a 3% minority. <laughs> like I need, I need to bring, you know, the traditional conservatives along if I want actual change. I'm, I'm, I don't have my head in the sand about that stuff.
0: It is a very tough task that they, you know, make you do though, which is the idea that you can't really, you know, focus on these genuine injustices because this is the thing at the end of the day. Like we're talking about Adam Goods, who at the time was the preeminent footballer probably in the entire league, you know. So we're yeah. not even just talking about a guy who was – top 20 players he was probably at you know this time as the apex good as yeah <laughs> anybody playing football right he was you know the games record holder for in, indigenous players he was like a twice Brownlow medalist he's we're talking and then you know he's Australian of the year and it's not Australian of the year is not something you run for he, he, didn't, yeah, you know, I know. he didn't go around the country, you know, yeah, shaking the tin. Lines. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be Australian in the year. He didn't run a campaign. He Maybe would. we should do that. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and then he was racially abused in his workplace. He, in the press conference immediately after the game, said that people should not go after the person who racially abused him. You couldn't talk about somebody who was you know, reaching across the aisle more, you know, saying it's okay, this person was a young person, we should not be talking about her, we should be talking about the, the broader issue. Actually said those words and then it, it was like th- that he never said those words. You, you we gaslit word. him, we gaslit yeah. him. And that's what you mentioned and I think you're absolutely right. As a media world, as a country, as a political world, whatever the fuck happened people just completely gaslit the story of Adam Goods to the point now where Adam doesn't want to be involved in the game that he contributed so much to. And I'm sure that he believes gave him so much in a lot of different ways that he does not want to be there in the public debate as a leader at the moment because he was so burnt by that. And that is just white Australia robbing Indigenous Australia of somebody who should be a powerful leader of that community and the fact that Adam even feels uncomfortable I mean Adam and I have emailed about whether he would come and do this show and he still feels you know uncomfortable about coming and talking about these things again because he knows that if he does it again it becomes another issue again and it takes over his life again and that is just a massive form of control. He got so powerful that White Australia, let's, you know, that yeah, old white Australia, but maybe modern white Australia as well, we all have to take some responsibility, said, no, nah, we're not going to allow this to happen. You have become too powerful, too eloquent. You're, you, know, you are agitating. You are bringing up real truths that we don't want to hear about. So instead of us dealing with these things, we are going to run you out of the public debate. And so then as someone like yourself who is an Indigenous guy, coming into the public debate, that is also just – that's the head on the pike outside the Oh, yeah, yeah, outside the castle. You <laughs> on the way in of, like, this could happen to you if you stick your head up too much. So how how do you deal with all that?
1: Oh, well, it's it's absolutely a thing, right? Um, and, yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, even, even the other day, like, I got some pretty good news about – a couple of projects or a project that I'm, that I'm, that I'm kind of trying to get up. Um, and I was going for a run around pretty park. Uh, and so I live just, just, you know, around the corner there. Pretty, pretty gentrified part of the world, you know, inner North Melbourne, yuppies everywhere, you know, everyone's woke. And a couple of 14 year old kids on scooters were just there. And so I've just had a great day and I'm running along and these kids just go, or one of them just going, Hey blackie, you better run faster. The cops are chasing you. And I was like, so it doesn't, it doesn't rock me normally because I'm just like, ah, oh, fuck off. You know, you're 30 years old. You're just a fucking racist. You probably live at home with your mum. you fucking loser, whatever. It's this 14 year old kid. And it just, that one really, really rocked me. And you know, it's, it's this weird thing. So I'm coming in, I guess I use that example because I'm coming in, like I'm coming into this debates, the wrong word. I'm stepping into the battlefield, right? Like, and it is a battlefield and I owe it to people like Goodsy and Mickey O and all these kind of people who've done, you know, the Marcia Langdon's of the world, all of these people, I, I owe it to them to do my bit with with the platform that I'm starting to get that's that's growing to make sure that I continue to forward the conversation. But then like think think about the privilege that those kids have in their mind where they know that they can say they can say something like that to me. Someone who is like twice their size um you know you know like 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 just physically like like so much bigger than them. They've no fear to just say something so sinister and so, you know, insidiously racist to someone else, knowing that nothing is going to happen to them and knowing that it will actually hurt me. So if this is them, you know, think about the, you know, the people who fucked over Adam goods and continue to try to fuck over, you know, other leaders in the space. And I'm going with my eyes wide open and I understand that that's going to happen, but You know, I'm, I'm up for it. And, you know, I've just got to think of, I've got to think of, you know, interesting, interesting ways to, to bring people along for the ride. I think, I think humor is a great way. Humor is a really, really good way to, to do something. And then as you know, like you trick people into laughing at themselves and then they go, Oh fuck, it's me shit. And then hope, (laughs) and then hopefully you can, and then hopefully you can change their mind a little bit about it. Um, And cause yeah, like I'm, I'm not smart enough to be, to go into policy or politics or any of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think for me, it's using my platform to hopefully then bring people through get representation on screen behind mics, behind cameras, all of that kind of stuff. Um, Get people into the conversations at, at, you know, senior level within whatever organization I'm at. At the moment, it's the ABC get into those rooms because I don't know if you saw the upfronts of the ABC the other day when it was just the news channel and it was just... It looked like... I don't know if you've seen the the movie The Purge. You know, it it kind (laughs) of... It kind, of looked like, it kind of looked like that. <laughs> Let's get a bit of salt and pepper, pepper. Let's get some pepper in there, you know, <laughs> some cayenne, you know. Um, but well, yes. I,
0: and also what I, I mean, firstly, you're absolutely right about the ABC upfronts, particularly the news and current affairs photos were... Um, like so white, you thought it was a colouring in book. Basically.
1: Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> in and like, like it's it's nothing wrong with 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 the people there. Like everyone's lovely. This isn't talking about the person or the people specifically. It's just optically when you look at it, you're like, Ugh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll
0: give you a really in, a, a great insight into I think and exactly what you're talking about, which is we even have to break down perceptions in places where they're. Uh, you know, trying to do good work because the ABC absolutely, uh, you know, have a priority to They know, do expand it so that it isn't all those white faces. And I know from my experience working at the ABC, there is a lot of genuine work done. There's
1: goodwill. There's goodwill. Yeah, there, is, yeah. there
0: is goodwill. And yet the communication problem that somebody did not look at those photos. Because this is what I was just saying at the office. Like, we have three white men on the Gruen panel, but we have like a very diverse cast in general with the rest of the panelists. So we will never have a photo taken, and we haven't done now for five years at least, but, you know, more probably, of just the three men. It will always be a the, the entire panel. So it's obviously, you know, more diverse in both sex and, you know, like in, you know, the colour of the people's faces that you're going to see but <laughs> or, or it's just going to be me because we understand that perception is also part of it. Like we're not ever going to get over the fact that we do have three white male hosts on the show. It's historical. It happened 12 years ago. There's, but we can fix the other things. And one of the things that we can fix is when there's a photo taken of the show, the photo, so this is the bit that I just didn't get. And this is what you talk about, this inbuilt, inbaked. It's not racism, but it's just that people don't see that when they see a panel of all white people, they don't they see don't it prob- immediately identify that that's a problem.
1: No, exactly right. And exactly to your point as well, like there is so much goodwill. People are trying so hard to to make things right. I, I just think, and like like any organization that's, that's still learning how to do things. A lot of it's kind of the bandaid over the crack rather than, mm. okay, well, how do we fix this culturally? You, you, you know, how do we actually properly change this? So that there's genuine pathways so that, you know, uh, it, it's, it's almost not even a conversation anymore because we're, we're just doing it, you know, we're just doing it because it's just inbuilt and in, and ingrained in us. and, like you know of course you're going to have your frustrations but that's that's life and i guess um yeah it's 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 really funny i just i can't understand how people sometimes can't see why there's a problem you know it's like how how do you not see that we we are four four white people talking about you know what's going on in the commission flats in Footscray or, or, you know, or North Melbourne. Like, how do we not see that? How do we not get someone of color who perhaps has experienced something like that, talking about it as an expert. Um, and that's not saying th- that's what the ABC does. I'm just saying in general. No, you know, I think
0: there's, uh, and there's two steps. I mean, and again, I'm, I don't mean to you know, explain this to you. You have more insight no, than no, I no. do. I'm talking about from you know, my point of view, like one of the things that we culturally think about in our work environments is that there are two steps to it. One is not, you know, not about us without us, you know, which is what you're talking about, that idea of don't have a conversation on behalf of a group of people without representing that group of people. But then the second one is like, don't only get that group of people on when there's some issue that they need to speak to specifically about them, right? That's the next step, which I think you're touching on, which is the idea of, you know, include us even when it's not about us.
1: 100%. So I got an amazing opportunity In NADOC week, I co hosted Brecky Radio with Sammy J. And it was the best thing ever. You know, personally, professionally, it was awesome, right? Um, But like straight up, I was like, it's token. I was like, you know, I felt like Hannibal Lecter, you know, getting wheeled out. And then it's NADOC week. Here, do this. And, you know, that being token, which is that kind of band aid over the crack thing, and cult and and then culturally changing it would have been why not get me to co-host in grand final week, and then you can have someone because like I've got radio chops, like I can do that. There's no issue, so you don't have to worry about me failing. So put me on in a week where I don't have the safety net of oh it's Nadoc week, so we thought we'd give him a go give that to someone who might not have the radio chops or we don't know if they've got the radio chops so that then they can prove themselves. They can have a great audience. And then you go, Oh shit. Now we, now we know that a couple of people can do it. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, and that's, and that's how you, that's how, cause quite often you hear pushback. It's like, Oh, but where's the talent? You know, like, like, like that's another one that often gets said and it's like, well, that was a great opportunity to find some. You could you could have put me on in Grand Final Week, ex-footballer, like that makes heaps of sense because and that'd be the other thing. Oh, but it doesn't make sense to the audience. Well, that would make sense, um, and then you can have you know someone else who hasn't necessarily had the crack but could be amazing. Get them on in NADOC Week where they've got the safety net of it being NADOC Week. I don't know if that makes sense or, to you, but yeah. Me, it absolutely
0: um, makes sense to me, but I I even go a step further than that, which is that you get you on grand final week, which makes a lot of sense, of course, but then perhaps, you know, in Nadoc week, rather than throwing somebody, you know, like in the deep end it's you and Sammy and this person, you know, that you are the bridge in between that you are there. Someone in that studio can help give that person that experience. Who's already got that experience yourself. You know, it doesn't just have to be one or the sink other. sink or swim. He, he, yeah. He, here's a, here's a crazy idea. We could have more than
1: one indigenous person on air at the same time. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think Australia ready for that. Will, uh, <laughs> I just, I'm just, I just, I just don't think we're ready for that, mate. Um, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, you're crazy (laughs) yeah but no you're right and and then so like I get I get frustrated sometimes where it's like I I've I've had some ideas about sketch shows and people have said to me oh but it's a bit like black comedy I'm like fucking hell how many white sketch shows have we had yeah (laughs)
0: Sorry mate we can't we can't do the, uh, fast forward we've already had the comedy company it was clearly white guys doing sketches and this just seems a lot like that to be honest
1: oh i mean fuck well there goes sketch in australia now you can only have one you know like yeah. <laughs> no nah, it can't be sketch cuz you guys have already had it so Sorry, guys. We've already had a panel show with a white guy. <laughs> so. Uh, sorry. Uh, well, will 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 Charlie fight to the death? You know, Macaulay's. <laughs> he's he's a bit older. He gets to he gets to throw you guys the pool cue, and you guys fucking go for it. You know,
0: Macaulay's <laughs> the Joker in this scenario. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Tryouts. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? It's like fucking hell, man. Like, Uh yeah. And you know, you, you, I can, I can see their point, but I don't agree with it. (laughs) Um, But, but that's fine. And I think that's part of, part of our learning as well. It's like, well, how do we, how, and then my other frustration can be with, with this kind of stuff is like, Oh, it's always NITV and NITV is an amazing place, but I would rather do indigenous stuff that doesn't live in at NITV. I want, I want to, I sound like I'm bagging NITV there. Like NITV is, is, a, is, a, is, is so great because it gives so many great opportunities to people coming through, but you know, it is a smaller network. Like it, it gets less eyeballs. How good is it? Well, how good would it be if you got some of those shows on, I guess, commercial or mainstream networks where there are a lot more eyeballs? Because I sometimes worry, um, especially with indigenous issues and with a lot of minority issues, is that we all just talk to ourselves. And we end up in a, we end up in this kind of, you know, we're drinking our own bathwater. And and I'm really conscious, and that's why I said earlier about trying to get, you know. I know that I have to convince conservatives. So I know that I have to be speaking to conservatives or how the fuck am I going to speak to them? It's like, you know, if a tree fell in the forest, you know, did it make a sound? Well, the conservatives aren't going to know (laughs) if if I'm that tree falling in the forest. So I've got to be there on those networks that they'll be actively watching. You know, that's where I have to be if I want to if I want to, you know, continue to kick the can along and, and you know, respect the work that's been done before me and then hopefully progress it. Yeah, well, part of it is the mainstreaming of
0: self, like the
1: normalisation,
0: right? Yeah, it's all well and good to have SBS. It's all well, all well and good to have NITV. But if you have those places so that, you know, you can keep the... People of color in the places that they don't need to be messing up our. They're in life. their
1: drawer over there. Channel so yeah,
0: promos. yeah, you've got your thing. You've got SBS and NITV. Yeah, they yeah, go to. on, go
1: on, have fun. Yeah.
0: yeah, we built those for you. You just stay there yeah. in your own life. right? There exactly. Is, it's great that those things exist, but if they exist as a um, glass ceiling, rather than you know, like you said, you don't want to get stuck in the state leagues. You want to be up there playing in the main yeah. game. And oh. that's where you have the opportunity to really affect society. And that's why people were so scared of Adam Goods, you know, and felt like they needed to shut him down was because they realised that through his sporting career he had mainstreamed himself. He had put himself as part of the Australian society and that's why they reacted to it so violently, I think.
1: Couldn't agree more. Like, yeah, Goodsy could he really, really challenged people. And that and that's what's gonna happen. And he couldn't have done it. He couldn't have done it in a nicer, in a nicer, more, you know, I'm around you. This isn't me lambasting you. This is me saying, let's let's do this together way. Which that scares me a little bit. Um, because, you know, what the fuck have I done? You know, that's Adam Goods. Um, but I think And it sucks him having gone through what he went through. And I think us in retrospect, looking at it now, you know, he, he ran through the wall and the wall fucked him up, but that means the walls kind of shattered now for the next people like myself coming through. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, hopefully it's thinking grandiosely, but hopefully I can, you know, Completely knock it down so that so whoever's behind me can can really make like can really 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 be a huge agent of change. You know, hopefully behind me there's there's the Australian Prime Minister. You know, maybe even maybe even my generation. Who knows? But probably unlikely. Um, but that doesn't mean we won't stop pushing, because you know. You got to make it better for the for the next who are who are coming through, and I feel a real responsibility with that as well.
0: So that's what I was going to ask: is whether that does weigh on you that responsibility because it's unfair. Again, this is something that comes with it. It's not just the idea that you know these opportunities haven't traditionally had doors open to you but the fact that then when you walk through these doors you're walking through with all this extra weight and responsibility I mean if I do a shitty job hosting my show nobody thinks I've let down all white people you know? <laughs> it's a great point it's a great <laughs> no one's point. ever like well we can never hire a white guy again uh, really, I know have seen what they do when they get in trouble and, and know,
1: like, like and we know we can only have one aboriginal so yeah. like it's just yeah. not gonna work <laughs> <laughs> Um, so no, it's a really good point. Um, I'm not sure if I said it on, on Brecky radio with you guys when I was in there, but the thing I was most nervous about was like, I wasn't worried of about whether or not I could do it. I was worried about fucking it up and putting my people five years back. Like that was what I was worried. And then, and then I fucking did I did all the press and all that stuff and you know it was all that kind of stuff and i was like jesus like this is now a this is now a big deal and like whilst i love football commentary that's that's not my main love but i feel a responsibility to continue to do it because if i don't there's no other indigenous person commentating like i'm it so i kind of like i i i love doing it but it's not it's not my like my passion it's not the thing that i really really want to do uh, but i'll i'll continue to do it because it's less about me it's more it's important because you know if something happens say for instance the goodsy thing happens and i'm calling that game at least i'll be i'll be able to give some fucking balance you know cuz we didn't hear any balance on in in that evening, um, when he when he threw the imaginary spear that should have been defended by the imaginary shields, we there was no balance. It was just everyone was getting into him. Uh, so, yeah, I feel a responsibility there, and you know that that just comes with that just comes with the territory. But yeah, you're right. I there was a I was I was talking with a couple of my indigenous friends about it. And they're like, oh, you reckon these fucking wadjalas, do you reckon they even ever think that it, like all they've got to worry about is them fucking selves? And I'm like, you know what? I genuinely don't think they think like that, you know? Like like perhaps in retrospect, you know, when when you get older and you realise and establish and then you realise that, oh, you know, it's not like, like I'm, I was lucky because I didn't have to worry about all these other layers i could just worry about doing a good job myself but a lot of people i think think about you know just the meritocracy you know they believe in true meritocracy they they believe that i oh, and yeah, no, i deserved it um or you know it was great i had as much pressure as anyone's had on you know yeah it's this it's a really interesting thing to think about and it's something that happens to, ev- to every indigenous person who has any form of success and then also, the sad thing is the kind of lateral violence about it as well, where it's like, well, you know, is Goodsy doing enough? No one would ever say that, but as a as a hypothetical, oh, he could have done this. He could have done more. So, like, well, fucking hang on, man, it's one dude. Like he's he's he or she they've done enough just by being there. Them them just purely working on themselves, trying to be good, is enough. But everyone's always, oh, but what do they do in community? What do they do here? What's the connection? So,
0: yeah, why, why won't they do Will
1: a- Will Anderson's philosophy podcast? That's yeah. a real thing. Good to, yeah, 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 yeah. Good, to <laughs> Good to see, mate. If you're listening, which I know you are, come on, man. Will's a nice guy. <laughs> uh,
0: so, how much did you, because when you are so, so prominent, prominent in that role, it comes with a sense of representation regardless, right? So how aware, you know, of the history of your people were you? How much more aware have you needed to educate yourself around, you know, issues of, you know, people that you are, you know, at least in part representing just by the very nature of being there in the game? Like, you know, talk to me a little bit about how you feel that responsibility.
1: Yeah, so I don't know my dad and I've never been to my country. I know where I'm from. Uh so just out of Burke, Burham Binya is is my mob's uh is my mob's name. Um and oh used to feel a whole heap of shame about not knowing because I quite clearly look Aboriginal and then and then you know what kids are like, they'll just ask you. And because I was ashamed of not knowing, I just used to rip yarns just make shit up because that was better than that was better than <laughs> admitting that I didn't know. Um, and then as I got older, uh, uh, I've been more comfortable saying that I don't know. Um, and, and then because of that, um, it's allowed me to really, you know, discover it, you know, really naturally. And I'm every day, every day I try to learn, you know, I read as much as I can. I, you know, I'm lucky to have some great people around, um, like I, she's an absolute hero of mine. I went for dinner with professor Marcia Langdon last night and she is a steel trap and the stuff she was like, she was there for the first land title. Um, Like, like, like she, she's been involved in everything forever and she's just like just learning off people like that, you know, asking questions, getting a steer. So like I'm, I'm still trying to find, find my way as to, you know, what's the best way to do it? You know, you know, how do I respect my people and, and our past and, and then respectfully kick the can further along and make it better. It's You can't do anything without respecting the past um, and where we're from and all that kind of stuff. Like I, I I couldn't be more proud and I couldn't be trying to learn more, but it's one of those things where, I'll forever be on a journey of self-discovery with it. Um, And yeah, I used to be ashamed of it, but now I'm just like, well, that's just, that's just, that's just like, it's not my fault that I don't know my dad. You know, it's, it's not an easy thing to go and drive to somewhere where people might not even know you exist and say, Hey, I'm, I'm me. You're my family. Like that's, that's a pretty big thing. Um, but it's, it's definitely a big part of, it's definitely a big part of my, um, identity that I will probably do at some point. Um, but yeah, just it's, it's at the forefront of my mind all the time when I do this stuff, because I'm really, really conscious of doing it respectfully and doing it properly and, you know, trying not to piss people off basically, you know, cause there's always going to be, there's always going to be someone who'll go, Oh, why didn't he do this? Or why didn't he, why didn't he do that? And you know, it's, at some point you like some people will feel disrespected with something that you do do, but as long as you know, you've gone into it, you know, with the right intentions and you've consulted people who you, who you respect, then fuck, I mean, what more can you really do? Or else you'll, again, you know, we speak about hamstringing yourself. Like it's, at some point, you got to go. Well, fucking no! Like this is what this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm trying to help.
0: Yeah. Sometimes you just got to get out there and not give a fuck a little. And yeah, I know.
1: I know. I know. I <laughs> know. It's hard. <laughs> Man, it's it, hard. <laughs> it's so,
0: this is mate, this has been such a great chat. We like, need to wrap it up soon, but I um, still have a bunch of questions. So I'm just going to go through some of the regular questions that yep. I'd like ask people, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Um,
1: firstly, uh, what do you think happens when we die? we fucking turn into mulch We're that. Like, that's it. It's over. Yeah. You had a good run. What do you reckon? <laughs> Well, I mean, I get to ask the questions on this
0: podcast. Oh. I mean, I, yeah, I I mean, I guess if I had to answer my own question, I would say that we return to whatever we were before, you know, before we were nothing but the series of atoms or whatever it is. And then we, you know, go back to being, yes, in, in essence, like even in a really kind of practical sense, eventually we become a whole bunch of different atoms again and released back into, you know, the universe.
1: Yeah. Like- I guess when I was younger, I used to think that there was something more, but the more I think about it, I think that was just me not being comfortable with dying. Uh,
0: And so that's interesting to me. So obviously, dying is something I ask people about all the time, how much they think about dying, whether it's something that they- All
1: the time. um, All the time? Yeah, all the time. I think about it a lot. I think death is so fascinating. It's so final, but it's going to happen to all of us. So it's like it's it's one of the most unique, uniquely binding things that the human has. Well, every species has. We're all going to die.
0: <laughs> yes, we are all going to die. But then, no, no, how does that define it your doesn't, life? I guess it,
1: it, it doesn't define me at all. It's it's just it's just one of those things. I know it's coming, and I know every single breath I take, I'm one breath closer to it. But that it, it doesn't worry me. I know that's kind of morbid, but it it. <laughs> In a way, I think it's liberating, right? What do you What do you think? Do you think it, like like? How often do you think about it? I know you like to ask the questions, but go on. Yeah, I don't know if I. I don't
0: know. I mean, I have an overall awareness of it. I don't think I think about it very much. I don't think I, like I mean, I've spoken previously on the podcast that perhaps when I was struggling a little bit more about the idea of the idealation. Of death, like you know, when I was going through tough times, the idea that not that you would do something about it yourself, no, but that something would just happen and it would put you out of your misery, you know, the idea that the plane would just crash and you'd be like, oh, thank fuck, you know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was I was crossing my fingers, pretending to pray that a <laughs> that a plane would go down. <laughs> yeah, fuck, that's but, pretty grim. Um,
0: <laughs> but in a general sense, I think I don't I, I don't necessarily think about it all the time. I just am interested in if you know, your perspective, and this is why I like to ask people in particular who, if your perspective is a bit like mine, which is that, you know, we were nothing beforehand and we go back to being nothing afterwards, you know, in a general sense. Um, yeah. Then the bit when you're alive to the bit where you die, what's that about? What is the point of that bit in between to you?
1: I think it's trying to leave people you've touched and places you've been better than when you got there
0: what do you hope that people will think about
1: you like if you or the if, you know, or the or, or some, the tony gravestone the yeah, the gravestone I, yes
0: exactly think about your epitaph think about what somebody might say at your funeral what, what this is not what will they i'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah. what would you hope they by the end of your life what would you hope they would be saying about you
1: um i hope people say i'm um, a loyal person a caring person a loving person and then someone who use you know all of all of the skills and abilities that that they had to the best of their ability to 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 make a really positive cultural difference not just not just here in australia but hopefully you know the world
0: Okay, the world—that's a—I like that. So, what's what's the world part of this equation?
1: Well, just 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 because a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about, or we've been talking about in this in this chat, are very Australian centric. They're universal. They're universal themes. Like the Brits fucking did a pretty good job around the world. Um, you know, you got to hand it to them—they're good at colonizing. And mm. you know, it's a you know oppression oppression and systemic racism happens everywhere and if if you're able to i don't know you know create create something that speaks you know at a global scale through through you know creative work then why not pursue that and why not try to and why not try to do it
0: i don't um expect you to have an answer for this that is a neat answer and in fact i sometimes even hesitate to ask this but when I have you know a guest on who has a a different life experience you know and well no I'll, I'll speak more plainly I won't even just you know try to couch it in you know some other sort of language I think you'll understand what it is that I'm going to say if I just say it to you plainly so I often get questions afterwards from people who are genuinely you know wanting to contribute in a meaningful way to say I understand as a white person in Australia that, you know, these are not our lands. They were stolen from the First Nations people of this country. We now live in a society that is disproportionately disadvantaged to Indigenous people still. I want to help. And I certainly don't expect you to have all the answers about how those people can help. It's not your responsibility to have those. But I also just want to ask you, if you do have any advice for somebody who's listening to this... Who wants to help, you know, be part of that change, to not leave that change to the Adam Goodses of the world, that they themselves want to be part of that change. Do you have any thoughts for them?
1: Oh, there's there's a number of things. Probably probably the first thing to do is do 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 your own research. Uh get on get on Google, fucking read some books, read some really great, you know. If you haven't read Dark Emu, that's a great place to start. It's a really good introduction into, I guess, you know, Aboriginal culture written in a way that's really easily malleable. Read a book called Blood on the Waddle, which is about all the massacres that happened. Um, really start wrapping your head around, you know, how fast this, this, this place has changed and how brilliant this place was beforehand. But then also... You know, are there local are there local community groups where you can go down and help out? Are there are there fundraisers you can be a part of? Is there is there an indigenous artist who you could perhaps subscribe to their patron? You know, all of that kind of stuff. You know, if you see something, this is the other one. If you see something, fucking say something. So casual racism, I hate casual racism because it shouldn't be called casual racism. There's nothing fucking casual about it. It is so insidious and so clearly deeply embedded that you're saying it in a casual way, but that comes from being around racist people all the time. So whenever you hear something like that, call people out because if you don't, you're a phony, you know, have you, I'm not sure if you've heard the saying, you know, the behavior you walk past is the behavior you accept, a great way to start getting on board and start helping, especially when there's not black people around fucking call, call your mates out, call them out, call a spade, a spade, call them, you know, challenge them around their behavior. And, you know, we're not going to just magically then, oh, everything's better now. Like this is a process that has been, (laughs) that people have been campaigning and fighting for years and years and years. But the more people that we have that are like that, the more, the more you're helping. So that, that would be my short form answer to that.
0: Uh, what is your greatest strength, do you think? I know it's always hard to ask people about, to to kind of boast about what they're really good at, but, uh, you know, if you genuinely had to answer that question, what do you think you... And I'm not... This is not a job interview. Don't give me a job interview answer. I <laughs> want to be on Gruen. <laughs> I, I, I work too hard. <laughs> and yeah. I always get here too early. I, I, I want to know what you think your greatest strength is.
1: I think it's... I think humour, like, like my humour and then... Being able to actually manifest that in more ways than just you know razzing people about it, like I can, I can, I can bring my humor through in commentary. I can bring my humor through literally presenting the news. I can use it to disarm people, make them comfortable. A lot of it's self-deprecating, but we know that that's the the way that you you kind of make people feel comfortable around you. Um, but yeah, I would say. Probably humour and then communication. I think communication and, you know, speaking, presenting, all that kind of stuff. But I think putting the humour on top of it, yeah, I think. And I I think that's the way with a lot of minorities, to be honest.
0: Humour can be incredibly powerful in those situations. And I think sometimes why in my industry we have a disproportionate – it's a very, it can be an incredibly diverse industry, sometimes not reflected on you know, TV screens or radio jobs, but certainly on a, at, you know, in a stand-up room, it can be an incredibly diverse industry for that reason that humour can be so p- powerful in cutting through. Um, what about then at your worst? When Tony Armstrong's at his worst, what does that look like?
1: Flaky, like flaky. Um, and when I'm at my worst, I put my head in the hole like I'd sort of head in the sand, hope it blows over and I make a mountain out of a molehill. Cause Um, I think like, I think like a lot of people I'm really, um, you know, like everyone deep down is quite, quite anxious at some level, you know, anxiety, you cover that with some jokes or that kind of stuff. Like, um, and then, you know, the juxtaposition of then, you know, being a bit of an anxious person and then, trying to go out and performs quite an interesting space as well um but yeah I think when I'm at when I'm at my worst it's I'm sort of flaky and I put my head in the hole and I won't have that I won't have that tough conversation That's not even a tough one you know what's the
0: best bit of advice you ever got from
1: somebody I, I said it earlier it's um The people who, the people who make it look the easiest are the ones that work the hardest. And that was in, that was in inference to hosting, to commentating, to all of that kind of stuff, you know, know the shit back to front, know, know everything like a jazz musician knows the actual notes so that they can then explore and extrapolate however they want
0: Um, if I had a magic wand and I could give you any skill in the entire world, anything, you don't have to learn how to do it. You don't have to have your 10,000 hours. You can just immediately have this skill. What skill would you like to have?
1: So are you giving me like a superpower or is this something that, that that lives in the real world?
0: Uh, I mean, some people have asked for the capacity to fly and I've granted that. So i I actually find, I think that would be really impractical, to be honest, flying. It'd be more more a pain in your ass than people realise. But It'd be
1: cold, it'd be cold.
0: Real real world, real world probably, but you know, it can be elevated real
1: world. Okay, so, you know, like photographic memories. Mm -hmm. So if I just elevate that ever so slightly, I would ask for a power where I get the knowledge out of any book that I touch and just complete- full cognizance full 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 understanding of everything within that book
0: okay so and you, and you don't have to read it you just have to touch it. Is it just what touch mean? it
1: yeah so I would like walk down the halls I would walk down the halls of libraries and just psh, yeah. because knowledge is power and that would just make you so you would be so brilliant you would be such a brilliant person
0: yeah except if you walk down the wrong like you know oh side. fuck porn again <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at sex now.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Tony's got some pretty weird ideas at the moment too. He just just fingered a lot of dictator books down at the library. So been into a lot of Stalin, a lot of Hitler. It's all there at the moment. Yeah, be a little careful about what you touch.
1: Yeah, that's That's true. But but uh, but I think you understand what I'm what I'm saying there. It's like, I would, I would be all knowing. The capacity to increase your knowledge. Right? It's yeah. a cool
0: thing. All right. Final question, mate. This has been brilliant. What can we plug by the way? Cause we like to, you know, plug something for you. Can we plug your social media or can we plug, you know, radio stuff you do? What can
1: we, what can we tell people about? Um, I don't know. I'm, um, I'm how do host- people
0: find you? If they want to see more of your work, how do they find you?
1: um uh, jump on abc um you'll you'll see oh, i'm hosting Offsiders this summer um oh, okay. um so perhaps tune in on sunday mornings um what else am i doing uh maybe just jump on my socials yeah at tone A. um it'll be in there it'll be in the thing won't it on the it'll stuff
0: be in the episode description it will there the we experience. go yeah it'll be there
1: <laughs> Hey, I need to get better at plugging stuff, hey. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would, if I could
0: give you some advice, when somebody asks you for, for a free plug, take the opportunity for a free plug. And yeah. also, here's a good way to plug something. I'm hosting Offsiders over summer. Watch it. You don't Yeah, yeah. There you, you can possibly tune in if it's a Sunday morning and your TV's already on and you can't get Netflix. Just tell them to watch it. Fucking watch it, you dogs. It'll be, it'll be great with you hosting it.
1: Yeah, I know. Probably, I'm. I'm not sure how many um, Indigenous hosts we've had, of offsiders or, or insiders for that for that matter. So I'm pretty proud of that. that will be good. Yeah, it's. Um, you're
0: going to look back on your career at some stage, mate, and notice that there were a whole lot of firsts in there, which I think is, you know, probably a sad reflection on society to a certain extent. That you know it's taken so long for these things to be first, but it's going to be something that you're going to be able to look back on and feel incredibly proud of. I think because You know, revolutions don't always happen in really big moments. They happen in a series of much smaller moments. So, yeah, mate, it is a pleasure to talk to you. This has been great fun. We haven't met each other a heap, but I've enjoyed every bit of time that I've got to spend with you so far, and I hope we'll get to do plenty more of it in the future. One final question. This is the one we finish on, uh, which is I ask this. I have a time machine, and I can offer you a round trip into the future or into the past. You can go to anywhere. There is no restrictions about where you want to go. You don't need to kill baby Hitler or anything like that unless that's your specific passion. You can do it for something that you want to do. You can visit yourself in a moment of your life and watch it or give yourself some advice. I don't really mind what you do, but what would you do with your time travel trip?
1: Okay, so that's a really good question. And I'll preface my answer with another question that gets asked around the dinner table which is informing how i answered this Mm -hmm. so you know how everyone says well uh, well not everyone it's a very common question uh you know who are the four people you'd have as your dinner guest yes now i heard the best answer of this about a year ago and it's my answer now too we were on a, 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 we were away with a few friends and we asked the question, you know, the classics come out, you know, Oh Jesus Christ, Freddie Mercury, Michael Jackson, Hitler, you know, <laughs> you know, just, just the classics. Oh, I just want to know what Hitler would be like. Um, and my mate, my
0: vegetarian. I know, I
1: know. Yeah. I know. And all the heroin and, and, and Coke <laughs> for him as well. Fuck sake, mate. Um, And my mate goes, my grandfather, my grandfather's grandfather, my grandfather's grandfather's grandfather, and then his grandfather before him. And we were like, oh, that's the answer. Like that's, that's it. You know, everyone would know each other around the table, but no one would know each other. Um, Like everyone would have a link to someone else. And so my answer would be, I would, I would go back. I would go back, you know, perhaps 50,000 years to when, uh, or 50 or 60,000 years when my people are still here well you know arguably first started to establish themselves here and I would try to find my 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 direct descendant that I would mean that's be a it. pretty
0: good version of ancestry if I could offer that if I could offer people you can go back 50,000 60,000 years and meet your original ancestors or you can, or if you're a white Australian you can go back like 150 years or something yeah <laughs>
1: still impressive Oh <laughs> it's still cool but yeah i mean i think i think i'd do that and then i'd be i'd rock up like a full yuppie with like my phone my sony's in and just be like hey mate uh hi yeah 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 he'd be like what the fuck are you like you suck oh <laughs> but like, you don't even have internet you're the one who sucks
0: yeah <laughs> yeah what's the wi-fi password around here dude
1: That's my answer.
0: (laughs) That's a good answer, my friend. Thank you so much for doing this today.
1: I've loved it. No worries, mate. What a pleasure.